Um, let's pray as we begin. Father, we thank you that we serve an almighty God. We thank you that you love us with an everlasting love, and that you bring your power and your love and your wisdom together in our lives every day. This morning, as we look into your word, share the stories of your sovereignty, help each of us to see how they apply to our lives. Help us to see you in our daily life. And we give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our banners here remind us of the themes that Matt has been talking about through the book of Hosea and the Minor Prophets. We have sovereignty, holiness, justice, and mercy. And today we're going to focus on the first one, which is sovereignty. It's a big subject, but I think I'm going to let God's word speak for itself today. Today we're going to focus on his sovereignty by reading a few of the many, many stories from Scripture that show us who our God is, especially in his power, and how he powerfully and intimately is involved in our lives and in all of creation. So, first off, what is sovereignty? Well, I asked Pastor Matt to define it, and in the midst of COVID and just off the top of his head, he gave me a definition. And that definition is, God has the will, the ability, the power, and the right to do whatever will bring him the most glory and work for his people's eternal good, unhindered by any action, inaction, or opposition from any part of his creation. In fact, that's in your bulletin, I think, in your notes. And actually, we accidentally added a few lines to his definition, which were my commentary, which was that, in other words, he can do anything that is in line with his character and perfection. He's not limited by any one or anything. And his plan will be accomplished. So let's dig into these stories from Scripture and uh, see how he demonstrates to us his power and his sovereignty. Hear from Job 42. And Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of these things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. His plans will come to pass, and nothing has any power to stop it. And Lamentations 3. Who can speak and have it happen if the Lord has not decreed it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both calamities and good things come? Psalm 33 says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. He is involved in all of the affairs of, of this world and of mankind. And his plans are being fulfilled and accomplished. Now, I want to take just a minute to address a common misunderstanding. You could ask, well, if God's in control, am I just a puppet? Or what about free will? Well, there's volumes and volumes and volumes written on this subject, but let me try to just put it simply today. Fact number one, God is completely in control. Fact number two, we have choices and consequences that come from those choices. And here's the bottom line. 
both are 100% true all the time. And if one of those facts, if we use one of those facts to deny the other, then we're not in agreement with God. If I say, because God's in control and what I do doesn't matter, that's wrong. If I say, I have free will, so God is not in control, that is also wrong. In other words, as the created ones in this relationship, God has not given the ability to fully comprehend his greatness and his uncreated reality. And we can't put those two together because we're human and we're not God. If you struggle with putting together God's sovereignty and your choices, let me try to encourage you this way. God has the perfect plan for everything and the power, wisdom, and love to fulfill it. So our role is to trust him and walk in faith and obedience every day, knowing that, that everything in our day is brought to, you, to us for a good and loving purpose by a good and loving Father. Every promise in Scripture is to be counted on, and every command is to be acted upon. And when we don't understand what God is doing, we focus on what we're supposed to do, knowing that that is the best way to live the life God wants for us. Like I said, there's volumes written on this, and there's lots of debate, but hopefully you, today you can realize that God brings those together in his way. We have, we have our part, and he has his part. So let's look at that as we read these stories. Uh, and I hope these are all familiar to you. But if they're not, I'd encourage you to read the scripture, the Bible, from, from cover to cover. And I don't care if it takes you forever. <laughs> don't miss out on these great evidences that God gives us, these great stories that show us who he is and help us know him better. So first we'll see God in control of the physical world over nature and circumstances. Uh, then we'll read some stories that show his control over people and spiritual forces. This is from Joshua 10. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road going up to Beth Horon and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Makedah. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horon to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them, and more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Son, stand still over Gibeon, and you, moon, over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped till the, nations, till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it is written in the book of Jasher. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. 
Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Can you imagine that? He stopped time, or however you want to describe that. I think it was him stopping time because I'm not sure how the rest of the universe acted while that was going on. But that's his sovereignty, that's his control. How about another space and time anomaly? This is from Acts chapter 8. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at, at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So for your Star Trek fans, beam me up, Scotty. God did that thousands of years ago first. He started it. <laughs> I just love that story because you think about how he just disappears and appears somewhere else. But notice that God also created a divine appointment with the eunuch and a place for the water to be, for him to be baptized. Okay, how about providing for our needs? Did I go away? Okay, this story is about Elijah, the widow, and her son. Now Elijah, the Tisbit of Tishbe of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years, except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook of Shedrath, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I will have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Shedrath. That is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up, because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, 
only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did this as Elijah said, and she and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause death, the death of my son? And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged. And he laid him on his own bed, and he cried to the Lord, O oh Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? And then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O oh Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is in Oh, excuse me, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. God always uses his power to show himself in different ways. We see him provide the oil and the, and the flour. We see him, um, the crows, bringing you food. And this is all in fulfillment of what he said. He shows himself in different ways. And he wants us to worship and glorify him because he is God. And we need to know him. So he shows himself to us. In the next chapter, the same story, the next chapter, we see God's power over false gods and the power to make himself known. This has got to be one of my favorite stories in the whole of Scripture. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have in your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. 
Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given to them, and they prepared it, and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us, give, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they made, had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is in the journey. Or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed... They raved on until the time of the offering of the Balation, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two seahs of seed. And he put the wood in order, and cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood. And he said, Fill four jars with water, and pour it on the burnt offering, and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, They fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Wow. The Lord, he is God. I love the way he, how dramatic that whole scene was. The contrast between the the prophets of Baal and of Elijah, the prophet of God. Well, how about his disciples? How did Jesus show his power to them? and show who he really was. 
from Mark 4. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. I love the disciples' response. Did you catch that? Who is this? That's what he wanted. That's why he set up this whole situation. He wanted the disciples to see him better, to understand that he was God, that he was in control. Uh, anybody love to fish here? I see. No, they're okay. Well, this story is for you, right? After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. I see God's humor in this. He wanted to have breakfast with the disciples after the resurrection. He could have gone to the seashore and said, It's Jesus, come on in. But instead, he did something that only God can do. And when he did that, they knew it was him, and they hurried to the shore to join him. Think of some of the other stories that you're familiar with. God shows his power over the gods of Egypt, small g gods, and frees his people from slavery by sending the 10 plagues on Egypt. But notice each time he spared the Israelites. So Pharaoh lets the people go. Then when Pharaoh sends the army after them, God parts the Red Sea. They cross over between two huge walls of water, so big that when the army of Pharaoh tried to follow them and God released his hand, it consumed them. And then when they got to Jericho after that, what did God do? He knocked down those huge walls, those huge thick walls with just a word, with just a shout. How about Paul and Silas? One night they're in prison, but God had a plan. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prisons were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Do you think that was a coincidence that there was an earthquake? What caused their chains to fall off? God did. He had a plan. 
and way better than any Disney movie is the story of Balaam's donkey. Do you all remember that? Balaam was stubborn. He refused to do what God said. So God stopped the donkey from going where Balaam wanted it to go. And finally, Balaam gets done beating up the donkey, and God gives donkey, the donkey the words to rebuke him. And isn't that crazy? You know, again, Disney may have done it, but way before that, God did it. And actually, he used that for stubborn Balaam to listen. Is there any question about God's sovereignty? And these are just a few of those stories. Well, let me remind us of what, what Matt said sovereignty is. And think about these stories and think about this again. God has the will, the ability, the power, and the right to do whatever will bring him the most glory and work, his, work for his people's good, eternal good, unhindered by any action, inaction, or opposition from any part of his creation. Amen? Now I want to look at some stories where he has sovereignty over people and over the powers of hearts and minds of men, from kings to servants. Stories of how his sovereignty interacts with our choices. I love this first story because it shows how we can have the worst of intentions, in this case, murder, but God is still in control. To set the context, Saul is king, but God had rejected him because of his disobedience, and, had, and God had chosen David to replace him. So Saul is trying everything he can to eliminate David, to kill him. And before this occasion, David had narrowly escaped from Saul's attempts on his life a couple of times. Now, when Saul finds out where David is hiding, he sends the death squad to take him. But God has something to say about that. This is from Samuel, 1 Samuel 19. Now David fled and escaped, and he came to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and lived at Nioth. And it was told Saul, Behold, David is at Nioth in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying, and Samuel standing as head over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. When it was told Saul, he sent other messengers, and they also prophesied. And when Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they also prophesied, then he himself went to Ramah and came to the great well that is in Secu. And he said, and he asked, Where are Samuel and David? And one said, Behold, they are at Nioth and Ramah. And he went there to Nioth and Ramah. And the Spirit of God came upon him also. And as he went, he prophesied until he came to Nioth and Ramah. And he too stripped off his clothes. And he too prophesied before Samuel and lay naked all that day and all that night. Thus it is said, is Saul also among the prophets? Again, I see God's sense of humor in this, this whole story. Saul's plan was to what? Eliminate David. But God's plan was for David to be king. And God's plan was fulfilled. How about disobedience to what God clearly instructed? We see that many times. But Jonah got to experience God's sovereignty personally. Let's hear about that. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. 
But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them away from the presence of the Lord. I think we all know how that trip turned out. The Lord sends a violent storm. The Lord sends a violent storm. So the people are throwing everything off of the ship. Jonah's asleep down in the bottom of the ship. And when he finally admits to them that he's running from the Lord, they throw him overboard. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against, against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. I guess so. <laughs> There's a long prayer there where he repents and gives glory to God. So God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. He ran the other way. But God's plan was to save the people of Nineveh, and no plan of his would be thwarted. In fact, God also saved Jonah from his own rebellion. But what about when you're walking in obedience? Ever think about how that happens sometimes or happens? Consider Job. One day, God was addressing Satan and said, have you considered my servant Job? that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Have you ever wondered why God brought up Job to Satan and then allowed Satan to inflict possibly the worst trials ever recorded? The answer is at the end of the story. See, in the midst of all the suffering, Job began accusing God of doing wrong. And in chapter 40, we see God answer Job's accusations. And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like this? Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who is proud and abase him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them all in the dust together. Bind their faces in the world below. Then will I acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save you. Then for two chapters, we see God describe himself, describe his power and his reign over creation. You see, Job knew about God, and he obeyed what he knew. But God wanted more for Job. God wanted Job to know him even better. Listen to Job's response to God in the end of the story. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. You said, who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? 
Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. You said, hear and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Did you catch it? He said, I heard of you by the hearing of the ear. That was before the trials, but now my eyes see you. Now he had that intimacy with God. He knew him in a deeper and more personal way. In his power, God took his most obedient servant through a fiery trial because his plan was to help him see him in all his majesty and know him better and be better prepared for life and for eternity. We also saw how God used Satan to accomplish his plan. What Satan meant for harm, God meant for good. And as God fulfilled his plans, it brought eternal good. We could also read many stories of God's power over demons and wicked rulers and stories of how he judged sin and brought his people back from their sin. God's power and rule is seen through all of these stories, but his power and rule is also seen through your story, through our stories today. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this understanding of God's sovereignty? So we know that he's all-powerful, and he intimately deals with everything in the natural world down to our very thoughts. So what do we do with that? How does this affect my daily life? Well, first, we need to see him. We need to see him every day. When you wake up in the morning and you, th- and you think of your day, remember that he is there in every situation, in every detail of your day, working for your good. He is your life coach, your provider, your comforter, the one who gives you situations that test your faith. Last Friday when I, had been, when I was around someone who tested positive for COVID, I was supposed to teach adult Sunday school class like I mentioned. But my real need was to see God in that situation. Because if I didn't see God in that situation, I would have been trying to deal with it on my own, in my own strength, in my own wisdom. But because I did see that God had done that, that he had put me there, I knew that he had a plan. And so I asked him what to do, and he led me. God is perfectly working according to his power, his love, his wisdom, his presence, to grow you in your faith in him. In the joys and the trials, in the victories and the defeats, see him there. Don't miss him. He is working. See who he is and what he's doing in that situation. Whether I'm driving behind someone that's going way too slow or I just reacted in anger to someone, I need to stop and see him. He is my all-knowing, all-loving, and all-powerful father. Is he the one who's jealous for my obedience? Is he the one who forgives me and gives me strength? Is he my guide, my provider, my comforter? He is. He's there working. So always be looking for what he is doing. And next, once you see him there, working to sanctify you, trust him. Do you need forgiveness? 
Confess your sin to him and thank him for his forgiveness. Do you need direction, provision, peace? Remind yourself of his promises and make decisions that, that show you trust him. When God showed me that I should not go to church last week, I had to trust him to provide coverage for my responsibilities. I focus on the truth that he is my provider, that he effect, that, and that he affected my act, and that trust affected my actions. I didn't worry. I looked to him and how he was going to provide for that need. You see, when we trust him, it shows up in how we think and what we do. So see him and trust him. And next, thank him. Thank him for always being there and never forsaking you. Thank him for forgiving and cleansing you. Thank him for being powerful, wise, loving you perfectly. Thank him for being sovereign over every detail and every moment in your life and for the peace and joy that he provides. Because when we thank him, it helps us do what? It helps us see him. It helps us see him because when we give thanks, we have to know what we're giving thanks for. And when we're giving thanks for who he is and what he's doing, we see him and then we trust him better. God is sovereign and he uses his power to fulfill his perfect plans. Those plans include perfectly taking care of us. See him in your moments, trust him in those moments and give thanks for his power and his love, his presence and his wisdom for who he is and what he's doing in the affairs of this world and in the moments of your day. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your sovereignty is not just some theological idea, but it affects our daily life every moment because you are in control and you are working to bring about your will in our lives. And that will is a good and perfect will. And we thank you for that, Lord. Help us to see you. Help us to trust you and give you thanks in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Walter's going to come now, and we're going to have a time of communion, so we're going to fix the stage. If anyone doesn't have um, the elements for the communion, can you raise your hand, just and the ushers will make sure that you get one. So it's the first Sunday of the month, and on the first Sunday each month, we do celebrate communion, or the Lord's Supper. And why do we celebrate communion, not just once, but regularly? I mean, there's a few reasons. One is we do it together to show that we are one body. One is that we're looking forward to the Lord's return, but primarily it's to remember. It was something that the Lord gave us so that we would remember what's most important. There's a lot of scripture in the Bible here. What's most important? What we remember in the communion is the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, and that death being the introduction or the, the sealing of the new covenant that God has made with us, his people, that he would be our God and we would be his people. And um, Hebrews 2.1 says this. It says, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, 
lest we drift away from it. It's strongly said we must pay much closer attention. It's not just remember. It's not just pay attention. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. There's a consequence of not paying constant, close attention to these fundamental, critical things. Imagine having this free gift of grace, this peace with God, no condemnation, no guilt, setting it aside on the shelf, taking it for granted, and slowly drifting away. And it makes me think of Esau, who he, it says he despised his birthright, or really he just drifted away. He had other things to take care of in life, and he gave away that birthright, but he sought the blessing later, and he sought it, and he could not get it. He couldn't repent at that point. There came a point at which he just couldn't do it anymore, even though he sought it, it says, with tears. He drifted away. And so listen just a few words of the Lord Jesus, and listen, pay attention that much more closely, and hear what is set before you in his life, his death, his resurrection, and his call to each one of us. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. That's the invitation. That's it. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I, I am the bread of life. Who come, he, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. We have all that we need in Jesus. He cried out, like in the, in the temple, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. What a promise. Not only do we have what we need, but it'll come welling up out of us so much that it can be given to other people. It's a great promise. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Consider, pay more, more close attention to what he has done for us. My sheep hear my voice, he said. Do you hear his voice? I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one's able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Jesus also says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So behold the kindness and the severity of God. And so as we take the bread, and if you haven't already, go ahead and start peeling the, <laughs> peeling the top off. Let's pay much closer attention to God who so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Remember Jesus, who took on a human nature, a body and a soul like ours, so that he could die, be a sacrifice to take our sin. And remember the Holy Spirit, who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who replaced your heart of stone with a heart of flesh. And so, let's remember together. When he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take it. Lord Jesus, we do honor you as the one who has done everything that we need. You are our righteousness. You took on our nature. You lived a perfect, God-honoring, God-fearing, God-serving, God-focused life that we didn't live. You took on a death that you didn't deserve, but that we did. You've done everything that we need to have our guilt cleared away, to be brought close to God our Father. And God, Father, thank you for giving us grace. Thank you that in you, 
there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. With you, we have peace. So thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Father, what an amazing thing to be called your children. You took people like us living on the other side of the world, and because of your great promises— because of the great work of our Lord Jesus, and because of your grace, you have made a people who were not your people to be called children of God. You've taken people far away, and you've brought us close to you. Help us to pay much closer attention to the great grace that we have in your promises and the great um, faithfulness that you have to your people. Thank you for being in charge. Thank you for being sovereign. Thank you for this great grace. In Jesus' name, amen.